Greetings, troubled listeners. Welcome back to the Troubled Men Podcast. I am Renee Komen, once again, back in the safe house, on the line with my co-host, the original troubled man for troubled times and future mayor of New Orleans, Mr. Manny Chevrolet. Welcome, man. Hey, man. What's happening with you? Oh, you know, just enjoying this uh, this mild weather we're having here in New Orleans. Uh, we finally can can uh, stop complaining about the heat. Yeah, we, yeah, it has been kind of nice, uh, but we still have murder though. Murder is well, yeah, that's we're number that's, one, uh, baby. Yep, yep, yep. We're number one in murder. We, we're we, gonna keep it that way, man. We did it. You said we could get back up there, yeah. and uh, you know, with with the Troubled Men podcast help, and uh, you know, we we didn't do it alone. Well, I actually, I actually, well, no, we didn't do it alone, but <laughs> I actually, I actually went out and killed someone over the weekend. Really? Yeah, just to get the numbers up still. Okay, well, I hope it's someone you didn't know, because that's the only way. If you kill somebody you know, you're pretty much going to get caught. Yeah, you know? that's, no, that's, that's it, the... it was uh, some homeless person, you know, anyway. No, that's not right, true. Well, that's not true. I, I, no, I, I'm no, not a no. killer. No, 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 no. But uh, I'm a lover. Just hurting people's feelings. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so speaking of hurting people's feelings, Manny, we missed you. We had the uh, the Carlo Nuzio tribute concert on Sunday. Uh, you know, we had uh, all of us turned out there. We had Susan Cowsill, Vicky Peterson flew in. Uh, uh, I I played with Pat McLaughlin. Yeah, I heard. I heard all about John it. Mooney. Yeah, I remember. I, I heard it, and uh, uh, but the problem was. Uh, I, I got detained on Sunday huh. by uh, the NOPD. Really? They finally caught up to you? Well, it was, you know, in my youth, I used to do a lot of tricks and pranks and stuff like that. And one of them was going like to department stores and going to the men's clothing department. And I would go into the fitting rooms and I'd scream at the top of my lungs, Hey, you're out of toilet paper. <laughs> there's no toilet paper in here <laughs> so i decided to do that because i was at the at the uh the mall over there in in, in on veterans west side pavilion or what's okay. it called yeah it's lakeside isn't lakeside. Yeah, lakeside lakeside shopping center yeah Shopper's i went Dream there i happened through. to go there because i was looking for a gift for my mistress and okay. uh, <laughs> um i i just decided to do it you know, I, just to bring some old memories back. And For old times. Yeah, sake. and you know, people today just, they don't have senses of humor anymore. Yeah. Everything, everything is just, <laughs> everything. So I was detained for like, at least like eight hours and stuff. Oh, geez, that seems excessive. Yeah, and um, so that's how I missed it. You know, okay. I missed it. Well. But you know, uh, you know, uh, Carlo was a great guy to many people. Uh, me and him had a hot and cold relationship, so... Well, I think many people did, and you know, at an event like that, you know, it's a, it's a, a recent, uh, recent passing. Of course, you know, everyone's gonna remember the the good things about you, you know. And I think there's time in the future when we can uh, can give give uh, full blossom to a, a a fuller reading of the Carlo Nuzio we all knew, you know. Yeah. I think that uh, that uh, kind of as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. I, I think uh, you know those those uh, tales will be told well yeah um yeah i just you know it just it uh it slipped my mind kind of basically what happened i did yeah, yeah. you know oh, that's well. what happens when you these invites go get to me too early 
you know, as usual. Right, I, I forget right. about them. You know, it was like I was sitting there at home watching football, and I looked at my wife, and I said, wasn't that Carlo thing today? And she was like, oh, yeah, it was. So just kind of slipped my mind. Yeah. All right. But they'll have okay, another well, one, I'm sure. You know. They'll... Well, yeah, maybe in a year, yeah. like I say, we'll we'll uh, we'll do it again yeah. and and have the rest of the story, and then we'll uh, air all our told... grievances about Carlo. Right. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. But, yeah. 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 But you know, I was also mourning the loss of my friend uh, Wadzilla, Ian. I I had to deal with that. When you when you dropped that out of nowhere at the end of the show a few shows ago, uh, I really didn't know how to take it. I thought you were putting me on at first, but. Uh, uh, Wadzilla really did pass away, huh? Yeah, he choked on a bone. Jeez, and, uh, man, it's tough, man. Uh, Jesus. And they're burying him in Seattle for some reason. I don't know why. Huh. With the connection of family Seattle. up there, maybe. I, I have know. no idea. But, Jeez, yeah. man, the 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 uh, the numbers on uh, former Trouble Men podcast guests are are, are tough, man. Yeah, yeah, they are. Don't say that. Yeah, don't. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Yeah, well, yeah, that's Easy. true. Yeah, you know, we're all we're, we're you know, like you said a few months ago, it seems like some of us are some people are dropping like flies and stuff. But uh, yeah, well, we are we are in the drop zone. Yeah. You know? Well, don't get yeah yeah, but you know, it's an exciting day today in many ways. Do you know that today is Tito Puente Day? Yes, yeah. Okay. I saw that Shout on the to Google Tito there. Puente. It's Tito Puente Day, and I, I, well, he was a great guy, Tito Puente. I, I actually got the chance to see him a couple times back in the eighties, and uh, it was good fun, man. Oh, where'd you see him? Uh, I saw him both times in Los Angeles. I don't. Okay. I think one time was at um, the Hollywood Palladium. Oh, you know, nice. Uh, I can't. I don't remember the other time. And, and sometimes I get him mixed up with Pancho Sanchez too. You know? <laughs> okay. So Tito was very shy. Had a very uh, reserved personality. Yeah, so uh, it was, uh, yeah. hard. It couldn't come out of his shell. Yeah, yeah. Because you know, apparently there's a day for everything now. Like it was Taco Day, National Taco Day, okay. National Hot Dog Day, and apparently it was Tito Puente Day. So. All right. Yeah. Well, shout out to Tito. Yeah, to Tito, who died back apparently back in two thousand. You know, yeah, but, that uh, sounds about right. Yeah, so uh, he's going strong. Anything exciting with you going on? You playing any gigs? Um, yeah, well, you know, the iguanas are back to our, uh, our Monday happy hour residency at DBA. So he's played that yesterday. Oh. We're, we're, uh, playing the, all the Mondays for the foreseeable future future. It's a nice early six to eight happy hour gig. So that's, uh, that's nice. Get to get in and get out over there on Frenchman street. Well, that and, sounds uh, cool. You guys are excited about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. We have a good turnout. You know, it's a, as I say, once the weather turns a little bit cool, people in New Orleans kind of wake up. They're like, oh, yeah, we're not actually going to die from the heat. Okay. Right. Uh, maybe, maybe we could think about going somewhere, think about making some plans. And uh, then, you know, you start having some of these uh, outdoor festivals happening. So it's, uh, you know, the whole the whole season is, as you like to complain about the, the, you know, the season is starting, entertainment season. I don't know. Okay. Don't know well, is. you know, I like to complain about this city constantly. And sure. uh, I, I just want to bring this out there. I don't know if you saw this. Just It just happened in the last 24 hours. But, you know, this the stupidity in this town gets better and better and better. In right. fact, um, this is, uh, happened to last night or something. Two teenage felons. Uh, each stole a car. Did you hear about this? No. Okay. 
they did not know each other. They both, one guy stole the car like in the Marigny, the other felon stole the car like in Mid-City or something like that. But somehow they managed to have an accident with each other. they're still waiting for the police to show up well the police finally did show up because one of the guys an suv was stolen and some kind of hyundai was stolen and one of the teenage felons uh hit the other teenage felon with his hyundai uh no his truck his suv and he swerved off the road and crashed into a house Mm. and died oh really so yeah so um he, yeah, yeah. So it, the police came because <laughs> you know. Okay, because because there was a death. Yeah, because right. there was a death. If, if it was just a car up. crash, but it'd still be they'd still be waiting. What are for the me. odds of like you know? Let's say you stole a car in Mid City and I stole one in the Marigny, and we're driving off with a stolen car. What are the odds of us crashing? It's got to be really, really uh, infinitesimally small, man. Uh, it's got to be incredibly small. Yeah. yeah. Oh well. Show goes to show you, even the smallest, the 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 longest of odds sometimes pay off. Right. Yeah. Um, but I, I just found that hilarious in many ways. I was watching watching the news and they were describing it. I go, how can that happen? It just yeah. Well, it's New Orleans, yeah. man. No, that's because it is a small it, town. You know, it, well, yeah, yes, yeah. as we say, yeah, everyone's kind of connected in some way yeah. or other. Well, you know, I can chime in on the complaints. Uh, I had to go to the airport today, second time I've had to go to the airport in the last couple of weeks. And what the, the new airport has been open for two and a half years, something like that. I think actually maybe a little longer, three years. So they knew they've been building the airport for many years before that. Now it's been completed for three years. It's been open. They've been using it. They still don't have the connection between the interstate and the the airport completed. So, well, yeah, they, you, you still have to get have off to that one exit, right? Get off and snake around, you know, across uh, Williams Boulevard. You're on all these uh, signage. is terrible. You don't know where you're going. I mean, I can't imagine if, if it's your first time trying to get there how you could ever make it to the terminal it's like i mean what do they have a maybe like 10 years after the airport is is open will finally complete the road to the airport well you know roads are a problem here <laughs> well yeah yeah, yeah. you can attest it's, for that because your 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 street in front of your house has been dug up for over a year right Oh, yeah, yeah. They're on uh, 7 a.m. Uh, 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 backing up duty again. Yeah, yeah. They, 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 they're not actually doing anything on the street. They just move the equipment around down my street and seemingly only back up. So you hear that, that back up <laughs> beep the whole time. Oh, God. But, uh, it, it just never ends. But, yeah, other than that, the only thing that happened, I don't know if I said this, uh, I signed the recall. Did you sign the recall? I, I haven't signed it. No, I'm, I'm not much of a recall person, but go ahead. No, I signed it, and it was very quick and easy. I was uh, over there by uh, our friend DC's comic book shop, and mm-hmm. there was a lady who had a little table and, and a chair set up on, on uh, Carrollton and Oak Street, and she had a T-shirt, and I just happened to walk by, and uh, she says, you want to sign the recall? And I said, sure, I'll sign it. And uh, then she gave me uh, some blank pieces of paper, like these forms, to get other people to sign it if they want. And it's very easy, you know, very, very right. easy. Right, sure, yeah, it's just sign your name. Well, right. sign your name, and you gotta, uh, you got to print your name, too. Oh, you got to okay. print, well, and then sign, and then you got to give your address and uh, date of birth, 
and uh, blood type. I don't know what the blood type's <laughs> okay. for, but seems kind of involved. Yeah, but, a little uh, involved. But yeah, but. yeah. I just, I, I just uh, didn't vote for the last election. That's how I, I. Uh, well, you voted for me. I had voted for you. That's right. That's man. right. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know if it's going to happen because you know the last day they have to to get signatures is uh, Ash Wednesday. Okay. The, well, the day yeah. after Mardi Gras. Right, right, right. So people are going to lose lose focus those last few weeks. Oh yeah, they're going to lose because what? Because the festival season starts basically right after Christmas, right? Oh yeah, yeah. We're going to be in a, we're going to be in one season or another. Yeah, no, yeah. no doubt. The season of the witch. Exactly. Season of the witch. Yeah, that's what we're in now. Yeah, exactly. Because, well, yeah, yeah. So yeah, Halloween's coming up. I'm not a big yeah. Halloween person. You're not either. No, um, no, no. But uh, I did realize. Um, you know, the Jehovah Witnesses, they don't celebrate Halloween, the Jehovah okay. Witnesses. I, I guess they don't want people knocking on their door. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, you know, like they do Payback to Payback is a bitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, but listen, let's get our guest in, because this is a guy uh, who, uh, God, I haven't spoken to in, in many, many, many a moon. How's that, Manny? Out of nowhere, I delivered this guest from the, the deep recesses of your past. You didn't even know that this was happening. It's a special treat. that we Yeah, this, it this is guest. a special treat. I mean, it really is because uh, he's alive still. And, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a treat. And, and, it's, uh, and, and he's willing to talk to me, where a lot of my old friends are not willing to talk to right? me. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. When I when I make these inquiries, it's always uh, with a certain amount of trepidation to see see what the reaction well, is going to be. Well, the night is young. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's too. right. Okay, yeah. so uh, let me uh, let me introduce our guest. He's a, a fantastic uh, studio and and live touring drummer. He's played on uh, hundreds of records and thousands of live concerts worldwide. With a he's worked with a, a long list of fantastic artists like uh, Neil Young, Beck, Brian Wilson, Stephen Stills, Nora Jones, Fiona Apple. On and on. Jacob Dylan. He was also the the house drummer for the Jacob Dylan documentary Echo in the Canyon, as well as the whole tour for that Echo in the Canyon project. Anyways, he's got a fantastic career, uh, and uh, he's also a drummer with Manny's band Two Free Stooges. So uh, it's it's going to be a real treat. Without further ado, the great Mister Matt Techu. Welcome, Matt. Well, hello, uh, podcast listeners. And, uh, <laughs> yes. How you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. Well, first of all, that was an amazingly sweet introduction. Oh, and I just kept well, thinking, well, because like, Renee's a good liar. No. <laughs> yes, but I was still I was listening to going. I'd totally sleep with me if I heard that. Uh, <laughs> well, good. That's what I'm. That's what I'm trying going for. I'm thank you. No, you thank up, you. Uh, you know, uh, lower your defenses for me. Let me just say, uh, Manny Shivert. When's the last time we spoke? Like twenty five okay. years ago. 20? Probably about twenty five years. This is. I remember this uh, so well because the band had. When dissolved. did you? When did you flee Hollywood? <laughs> when, well, I left Hollywood in two thousand. Okay. Okay, I came to New Orleans in 2000. But uh, I know the exact last time we spoke to each other. Really? Yes, we were both in Santa Monica. You were uh, then with Julie, I guess your she was your fiance at the time. Yeah, and then my wife and now my ex-wife. Yes, yes. I, I yeah. figured cuz I I I said to myself under my breath I give it 3 years. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that was exactly what it was. Three wow. years? <laughs> Three years, <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. Well, no, here it was. I was seeing a girl, I was living with a girl named Michelle in Santa Monica, right off like uh, Rose and Maine, around that area. And okay. we were taking a walk around the neighborhood for some reason, because she was very, you know, she liked to walk. You know, and I and I like to complain about the walking, and right. we bumped into you and Julie, and oh. this was, I guess, I'd say maybe nineteen ninety five, ninety six. Oof! You were you were working at that coffee house, I think. Well, I worked at the first Starbucks in L.A. Okay, in maybe Santa that Monica. was maybe that was it. You were working there because. Yeah. Stooges had dissolved, two free Stooges had dissolved. Right. And I, you know, I was like kind of in and out of my uh, Alvarado Street vacations still, (laughs) you know. Same. Yeah. And I think you were there too at that same point uh, in and out of those vacations in Alvarado Street. And then um, I think I chose Alvarado Street over the girl that I was living with. (laughs) Well, Michelle was her name. And uh, it's hard to compete. Yeah, it's hard to compete. Yeah, exactly. Um, And that was the last time I think I remember ever speaking to you, to be honest. Yeah, that's probably about right. Yeah, because I was living in Venice. You were living in Venice and you guys were engaged. And I remember JK. Remember JK? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, JK um, and I were hanging out a little bit off and on. And he was always, we, we came to visit your house a few times in Venice and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, that was probably the last time I think I spoke to you and wow. uh, until, t- yeah. until tonight. So, you know. Over was, 25 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. About 25 years ago. And, and, you know, I can tell just by reading your bio that Renee sent me that you've had a lot of success and I'm very happy for you, man. I mean, you know, it, well, thank you, but it, it, yes and no, it's like I'm side guy. So it's like being a professional gambler. You're up, you're down, you're up. You just got to right. have a stomach for it. You know, it's like, just don't quit. We've had so many drummers on the show and they all say, you know, we're the last ones to get the chicks, you know, <laughs> because you got to load up the equipment and all that stuff and things yeah, like that. I mean, yeah, I guess I found that we don't get the, quantity but we get the most bizarre quality there you go yeah so so i don't even know what to say about that but like a girl (laughs) that goes for the drummer is like i mean that's that's what you call a red flag right there but (laughs) well if you have a girl that will help you uh with your equipment then you you got to keep her there that i haven't found (laughs) okay (laughs) but i know but i i know back in the 90s uh um you were tall, dark, and handsome, so I'm sure you've had no trouble getting women, man. I no mean, trouble. you know, I'm st- I'm still a rascal. There you go. Yeah. Where are you living now? I live in. Well, I was in Venice for well 20, 25 years, and then I I uh, got in a relationship with this beautiful, extremely mean woman. <laughs> who uh, uh, we we dated for about six seven years. She had a little boy. Uh, his real father died somewhere in the middle of us dating. So I all of a sudden raising this child. So I had this crazy like uh, past few years, and then um, the relationship fell apart. I'm still in the little boy's life, but 
I moved out. I didn't just move out. I fled. And, and then the next day, the city shut down for two years because of COVID. Oh, jeez. Right. So I, I was staying at uh, my friend's tiny little apartment in Hollywood, renting a room. And I finally moved to Silver Lake. I got a place, and I've been here for about two years now. Sweet. Silver Lake. Yeah. So I went from uh, west side to east side, cool. which I swore I'd never do, but I, I really dig it, you know. No, Silver, Silver Lake, Lake, see, cool. that's the last neighborhood I lived in was like uh, Echo Park, Silver Lake, the last L.A. Yeah, neighborhood. Cool. And I was, in fact, uh, uh, Beck's neighbor. And I know you, mm. and he lived up, the, what was the name of that street? I can't remember that street, but I had that old 63 Dodge Dart, and the, the, the house was way up on top of the mountain. And my poor Dart, it struggled to get up that mountain, man. I remember that big time. Yeah, it's all hills. I'm up a hill. There was yeah. a mountain lion on my fucking street uh, like a, last month. Jesus. Somebody spotted a mountain lion walking right down, and they said, somebody sent me the clip, this news clipping. They said, isn't that where you live? And I said, <laughs> not only that, that's right across the street from my apartment. He's just <laughs> walking down the sidewalk. Oh, yeah, fucking mountain. <laughs> yeah, mountain line. Like, well, let's let's start let's start interviewing you now, Matt. Uh, I want to know. I met you in St. Louis, right? That's right. Two Free Stooges were on tour. We would just finished the tour, the East Coast part of the Chili Peppers tour for Mother's Milk album. Oh, we that's just right. Finished, okay. And we had Bobby Share was our drummer. You know, Bobby, Tony, and Bobby. Yeah, yeah, Tony and Bobby with the, the big fat rhythm section. Yeah, the quarter-ton rhythm section. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they uh, they they both had TB, two bellies. That was oh. that was that was the joke back then. Um, mm-hmm. And Xander Sloss, Colonel Xander himself. Yeah. We were driving yeah. back from the East Coast, all of us in this van. And Xander's from St. Louis. We stop in St. Louis and we stay with his brother Chip. And I think you were roommates with Chip, right? All, all you guys stayed in this big warehouse or something. Well, yeah, we all lived. We were a band called The Unconscious, and yes. Chip was our manager. And right. we all lived in. And that's back in the day. First of all, let me just back up for a second and say I fact checked you guys while you were doing your intro. And St. Louis is, in fact, the murder capital of the United oh. States. <laughs> uh, that that may yeah. be as of this afternoon, but we're going to pull ahead, man. We gotta, uh, well, we gotta, you better get busy because uh, yeah, New Orleans we, we is uh, yeah, New yeah. Orleans is sunk down uh, below Baton Rouge, in fact, to number seven. Oh, so, damn it! That's, that's uh, yeah. I know. Yeah, I know. I didn't want to break your hearts, but. Yeah, no, we can't. We can't go by daily st- statistics, man. We gotta gotta average it out, man. As I said before, the the, the night is young. So well, that's, that's it. I mean, there's still all those bodies here in this town have, that haven't been found yet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. that's right. Anyway, mm-hmm. so uh, yeah, take us back to St. Louis, and and uh, we'll take us. Can we go even a little bit farther back and talk about uh, you know you growing up in St. Louis, uh, like your early exposure to music? Uh, how how did you yeah. start playing the drums? Uh, all right, I'll rip. I'll try to rip through that. But uh, yeah, I mean, I was born in St. Louis. My parents uh, met in college there, and I, one of the coolest things I think about them is that they their first date was seeing a young Miles Davis in a small little jazz club in St. Louis. Wow. Nice, Miles, famously from St. Louis. So uh, yes, uh, yeah, he's from East St. Louis. Yeah. Yeah, 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 And uh, so, if it wasn't for uh, um, Miles Day, oh, and my parents, my dad was so infatuated with my mom, he forgot to pay the bill. And they didn't realize it till after they left. 
So I always say that if it wasn't for Miles Davis and petty crime, I probably wouldn't be here. So there you go. Nice. And, and, nice. and, and that was their, uh, that was their beginning. And I, so I was born there and then my dad was an architect. We moved to Massachusetts when I was like five, lived there till they got divorced. And I was a teenager. And then I moved back to St. Louis with my mom and put a band together. Uh, now what, what, what happened on one Christmas? Did your parents give you a drum kit or something or how did that happen? No, I, no, that was the, the bummer is that I started late in high school. I was a freshman in high school and I was such a cr little criminal. Like the guys I was hanging <laughs> with in Massachusetts were like, like I just came back from a tour, East Coast tour uh, about a month or so ago. And I was in the area in Massachusetts and um, I grew up with these guys that were tough Irish and tough Italian guys. And so I can talk like that, but I don't talk like that because I'm from the Midwest. So for a week I was driving the band crazy like Oh my God, look at that body of water. Scotty, <laughs> Tommy, that body of water. Sully, Sully Jr. You know, and so I, I can do it. But uh, so, yeah, no, I had no mentors in the neighborhood for, um, for music. musical instruments. Although I loved, I mean, it was to me, it was all about me in my room with my bong and my stereo listening to music. I thought I was going to grow up and be a DJ because music meant so much to me. But then fast forward. I'm getting in trouble. I'm getting arrested a lot. I'm failing everything in school. And my dad's like, you got to go to the army, son. And my mom's like, no, he needs to be in the woods where he's safe. Like he, he's good in the woods. So they sent me to this little hippie boarding school in Vermont and on an acid trip as a freshman. So I'm like 15. I'm climbed to the roof of the building to see the stars while I'm on acid and I hear somebody playing guitar and I break in the window in the music room and I crawl in behind a set of drums and I start playing drums on acid and somebody heard me and was like, we're going in the studio next week. Would you want to record with our band? And I was like, no, I'm not a drummer. I'm just on acid. And they're like, well, you're, they're, they're like, well, you're better than our drummer. And I'm like, all right, well, I, I'm in. So that's how it started. And, uh, and then I just never stopped. I realized that if I do this and I keep doing it, I get better. Join this band, join that band. My mom. And you're still taking acid to this day, right? <laughs> no, I don't. I haven't, I haven't done a drug or a drink since 2001. Oh wow! Oddly enough, yeah, I just you must turned, be thirsty, man. Um, <laughs> I know, I know. I'm, yeah, just turned twenty-one years sober. Wow! Wow! Well, I would have been, I would have been one of the casualties had I not. I mean, it's not like okay. I have a, a moral judgment about. I don't give a shit what people do, but right. Uh, for me, I burned it out. Like I had to. I I, yeah. I was either that or you know. But anyway. Uh, so ahead of the story. Yeah. Yeah. We'll yeah. So, that, yeah. So I, uh, um, I put a band together. So then I moved to St. Louis fast forward a few years later, put a band together. And that's when I met you. We were like the big band in St. Louis for a couple of years. You guys were. Yes. I remember that because we got there, I guess on a week where you guys had some shows lined up in St. Louis and Kansas city and Xander, I guess, talked chip into saying, let, can we open for you guys? Oh, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we opened for you guys. And it's funny because um, your singer, what was your singer's name? Mike Aperion. Yeah, yeah, he moved to L.A. too, I think around the same time. Yeah, he did. did. Yeah, he did. Although we don't really, we never really talked while he was here, but, uh, you know, whatever. Yeah. Things happen. But, yeah, he did. But it's so funny because uh, I got a friend of mine 
who manages the Euclid Records here in New Orleans. And Euclid oh, Records wow. in, in St. Louis is a big deal, the Euclid Records yeah. in St. Louis. And I went there when the Euclid Records opened, like their opening week here in New Orleans. And I went there and my friend Lefty, who manages, one of the managers there, he goes, this is, this is one of the owners. And I said, oh, nice to meet you. And he goes, well, I said, you're from St. Louis? He goes, yeah, I'm from St. Louis. I go, you ever hear of a band called The Unconscious? He goes, oh, yeah, love The Unconscious. He was a big oh. fan of you guys. Yeah, he was like, oh, I love that band. Because you guys were big, man, because we played some gigs with you, and it was packed. Yeah, well, that was the weird thing. I could be in St. Louis. I was there till the band broke up, and then I came out to L.A. because right. Xander offered me the gig with Two Free Stooges, and I, I didn't want to start over in St. Louis. So, well, first of all, let me go back to uh, uh, Euclid Records that Jeff Tweedy, when I lived in St. Louis, worked there from Wilco. Okay. And uh, yeah, he was in the band Uncle Tupelo at the time, and that was part of the scene. Right. But yeah, we were big in uh, for like a two, three years in that regional area. Right. So I mean, you know, we did, we did what we could, but people didn't know what to make of you guys when you came right. in and did shows. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> I remember. I remember Xander's parents, or one of his parents, came to the show, and and uh, I think Xander said, "What'd you think?" And he just kind of stared at Xander. <laughs> <laughs> just kind of stared at Xander. So, um, yeah, we were, you know, we were kind of hard to get that first time, you know. But I think if you saw us a few times, then you kind of get it. Uh, in fact, there was a this videographer, documentary guy, uh, Louis, who's who, who taped tons of our shows in L.A. I uh, just posted something on Facebook of a backstage, ten minutes backstage. At Club Lingerie. Yes, I, yes. I found it last week. Yeah. And uh, it's you and all of us just kind of hanging out with the nurses and DH right. and JK and everybody. Right, yeah, yeah. That, that's that's Louie. But he also did this show that from Bogarts in, in Long Beach. He taped the whole show, which you can find on uh, YouTube also. And uh, it's, it's probably, I think it's like the peak of our you know, celebrity or stardom or whatever, because I think we, it was probably one of our best shows, and I think it just fell apart after that, if I can remember. Yeah, yeah but yeah, you yeah, didn't you live with Xander over there on... Uh, well, it was the first couch I crashed on. He's like, right. come out here. So I drove out my little Datsun 510 station right. wagon that was so covered in rust from being in the Midwest winters that when I went to... G drive it to the junkyard, they're like, we can't take this. There's nothing salvageable on it. <laughs> it's, it's made of rust. It's mostly and, rust. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, but I came out and I crashed on his couch for a couple months till I could find a place, which was just a little shithole, like a block from Small's Bar. Right, off but of Melrose, I, yeah. Near the Paramount yeah, Studios. Near Paramount exactly. Studios, yeah. Now, I remember going to that place. Yeah, and then and then your, your your gal came out with you, right? Or she came out later. Well, she was going to she was going to college and university Redlands. She had like a year left or a half a year left, and then when she got out of college, I was like, I can't have her move into this tiny little one room shithole. In so that's when we moved to uh, Venice, which right. was affordable at the time because Venice was it was oh, all yeah. gang run by gangs, so it was dangerous. But I loved it. You know, they weren't messing with me, and uh, if anything, yeah, I was that's a yeah. That's uh, but you didn't live like that's like when Ghost Town was still Ghost Town and stuff like that. Exactly, exactly yeah. right. Yeah, but I, I uh, so I moved to I moved to Hollywood, and I just remember two free stooges. First of all, I I got it immediately and thought it was genius. 
and you and Dick Rude were just like these comic geniuses. Uh, Thank you. Not the strongest singers, but but got the job done and like the most naturally gifted born entertainers I've ever seen. And then the band was badass, but the band kind of fell apart. So I came in on drums and then Martine joined with right. me. Martine Lenoble, Martine yeah. Well, what happened, yeah, what happened was Tony and Bobby, they, they just, Bobby was like, I'm moving to Seattle because I want to, uh, I want to play more power pop. And he got some offer to do a power pop band in Seattle or something like that. And Tony, yeah. the bass player was just, he was not reliable at all, you know? He just wasn't right. reliable. He'd be like, okay, we were having rehearsals at this uh, place, you know, at two o'clock. And he'd always come up with, you know, Tony being Tony, be like, oh, you know, he, Tony's like that guy from Popeye. I'd gladly pay you tomorrow for two cheeseburgers <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. today. That's how yeah, Tony yeah. was. Wimpy. Yeah, Wimpy. Yeah. That's the guy. <laughs> and I love Tony. Tony. We should get Tony on the show. He's got a lot of stories because his dad was Pete Rugolo. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'd love to get uh, yeah. Tony um, Rugolo on the But, show. yeah, so then Xander uh, got you and Martine together. Well, you guys had a lot of demand going at the time, so you couldn't afford to just stop. You know, right. like it, right. We were you like had all these offers. Yeah, we were like, you know, you can play this every, you, know, you can play Club Lingerie, you know, once a month, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, we were getting it big, and, you know, Thelonious Monsters happening. They're kind of, you know, still happening, I guess. And the Chili Pepper, all these friends of ours are exploding. You know, everything's exploding, and, and, the, yeah. and the train, the train is rolling. The train yeah. is rolling in many ways, and it was a lot of fun. Like you said, I mean, I, I, I'm not really a singer. I did my best. You know, I just. I didn't remember. mean to insult you. I, no, no, I no, 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 no. It was. It was. It was that. It was like it's a sh- like. Uh, yeah, you're a front person. Yeah, yeah I was just a front, a front man. You know, I'm a personality person. out yeah, there. Yeah, you know, yeah, just yeah. trying to. I'm winging it. You know, jokes, yeah. dancing, choreography, like, yeah, 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 like yeah. it was. It was a. Ma- it was a show. It was a Las Vegas show. Uh, right. In with a with a punk rock band. Right. On drugs. On a lot of <laughs> yeah, drugs. Yeah, especially that last six months, man, where oh, it was like Lord. Yeah, it was just like, Oh, how much are we getting paid for the gig? Okay, I got it. Fifty bucks, see you later, bye. I'm gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know Meet you on yeah. Alvarado Street. Yeah, meet you on Alvarado yeah. Street. Well, as you said, everything was blowing up, but it was still kind of working, at least yeah. for another year or so. And then yeah. people started dropping like flies. But yeah, I mean, I show up my first show. Is like I'm, I'd say a, a three weeks, a month after I moved to Xander's couch, and so we got a month to get ready for it. And it's at Club Lingerie, and I remember the opening band was a punk rock cover band called Hate, with Flea yes. on bass, Frusciante on guitar, Angelo singing, and um, Nikki Beat on drums. Yeah, Angelo Moore from Fishbone. From Fishbone, yeah, yeah. and Nikki Nikki Beat from the Weirdos, later the Cramps on drums, and so as we set up and I sit down and play it, I remember I had long hair at the time and Xander was like, that will not do. So <laughs> Martine and I both wore berets and pink turtlenecks. That's right. And yeah, I just remember sweating bullets in this like wool beret and a pink turtleneck. Well, because you were just, see, the thing was also about the show was like Dick and I never acknowledged you. Like we knew you, you were just the hired guns for that night. You were exactly. just, you were just the union cats that were sent to back us up. You know, yeah, and our, our, our instructions were to just shred, but yeah. look thoroughly unin- unimpressed and bored back there. Right. <laughs> Which exactly. is not that easy to do, you know, when you're just fighting for your breath back there. But 
I remember looking out in the front row as we're about to start our intro, which I think was uh, Zeppelin song remains the same. Right. And I see front row folding their arms, staring at me. It was like Anthony flee for Shanta. Like all these people who I had been seeing for years in St. Louis and clubs, like paying good money to see their concerts. Now they're, watching my first show in Hollywood and I'm like, Oh man. (laughs) So that was my welcome to Hollywood moment. And then it just, you know, it was snowballed from there. Then the after parties and the after after parties and, and you know, nurses and chicks and drugs. And it was just like, and I remember being in my mind, comparatively, I was a drunk, but like, I'm still a good boy from uh, the Midwest and I'm just going to, I'm here to practice and play music and I'm not going to get involved in all that, but you know how it goes. Like, yeah, I look so good, Manny. I, uh, yeah. Well, he, he is one of the ones who did, but I mean, yeah. some, some people made it look absolutely awful and I could see that a mile away. I'm like, I'm not, you know, the, my whole life in Hollywood was, well, at least I'm not that guy. And then one day you wake up and you're that guy and and then you got to find another guy. Well, at least I'm not like that motherfucker. And then one day you wake up and you're that motherfucker. So it was just a a slow downward spiral. But for a while there, it was, I would say, two Free Stooges shows were the party in Hollywood. Yeah. And and that's why Manny, to me, was like Mr. Hollywood, you know, because Dick was a little more withdrawn, at least offstage than you, you know. And so. Well, uh, yeah, because. If you if you call yourself Dick Rude, if you give yourself that name Rude, you, yeah. you got to live up to it, you know, in some ways. And you know, Dick Rude <laughs> is a lot different than Richard Greenberg, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Although a sweetheart and, and and very nice to me, always very. You guys were all very nice to me. Xander and I, to this day, I, I look at him like family. I love him. I don't always like him. But that's Xander. Like, we're always going to be in each other's lives. He only lives like a half mile from me. And I still love, hate him at the same time. <laughs> right. Well, Xander. I don't, I don't care who knows it. <laughs> Xander, it's funny because I know he's on tour with the Circle Jerks and they came down here and he wouldn't answer any of my text messages or phone calls. And then I talked oh. to Abby. I talked to Abby Wool and she says, well, he's just a mean sober. <laughs> it's basically I what mean, she Okay, fine, but like you know, I I don't know that. To me, that's all horseshit, and that's that's I don't the Hollywood know. I mean, side. That's the Hollywood part I didn't like, where right. people were like too cool to like whatever. But yeah, those guys have been touring like for a year now. I mean, Keith has got to be in his seventies, right? I mean, something like that. I think he's close late, to it. Late sixties, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, but, let's, uh, yeah, let's let's hope it's they over. They played everywhere and they sound great. And uh, you know, Xander's still playing his. He just came out with an album last year of his. He's always brilliant at the acoustic sad bastard songs. I, I right, call them, you know, <laughs> right. Songs that literally will make you cry. They're so beautiful, and he's got a knack for that. So he's still doing that as well. Fast well, forward, Manny, yeah. What, Manny? I was going to say, uh, uh, seems like this might be a good time to take a little break. Oh yes, Matt. We always take a break halfway through the show to refresh our libations, and the, the troubled nation knows the drill. So it, it's only going to be a really short, short break. So get yourself a refreshment or go take a leak if you have to. Um, yeah, it's the forty-minute mark. So Matt, we'd like to say we'll be right back. You, you showed me. To do exactly what you do, how 
with Mr. Manny Chevrolet. I am Renee Coleman, back with our guest, Mr. Matt Techu. Now, Matt, I know you're uh, uh, kind of new to the the, uh, the program, but uh, just to catch you up, uh, the, the Trouble Men podcast has had a, a, a checkered history with sponsors, and uh, as you might as you might guess. And yeah. uh, we're, we're back to our original sponsor at this time, which is Loose Change. Yeah. Now, I'm not sure if you're familiar with loose change, but Manny, tell, tell them a little. Well, Matt, you know, everyone's got loose change. It's everywhere. Yeah. It's uh, under your bed, uh, your couch cushions. Maybe you keep a jar of it, you know, like right. a lot of people do. And so we want that loose change. We need that loose change. Yes. We're begging you for that change. Yes. We all yes. need change, Matt. Yes, uh, it's the only change Manny likes, yeah, right? So I like change. a little, a few nickels and quarters in my pocket, and I like to jiggle them. <laughs> <laughs> sure, it sounds like keys. Yeah, um, I like to jiggle it, yeah. So we need the loose change. And so, uh, yes, uh, we are a listener-supported operation is what we wanted to get to. And, uh, and, and we do have uh, a couple of uh, links. We have the PayPal link and the Venmo link right there in the show notes or the, uh, the PayPal, pay, the uh, Facebook page. So you can uh, avail yourself of, of those ways to, to uh, finance the show, to support the Troubled Men podcast so we can bring terrific guests like Mr. Matt Techu in week in and week out. And I, I know you're all listening to it week in and week out. We also have the, uh, the Patreon page. It uh, takes all the guesswork out of supporting the podcast. And, uh, you know, we, we always like to uh, encourage you to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to it. Subscribe, rate, give us uh, five stars. You could say, uh, fuck Manny and Renee, five stars. We love that. Also, follow us on uh, Facebook and Instagram and, uh, you know, share the podcast with your friends. We do have the, uh, the T-shirts. We're going to be uh, sending, putting some, some posts up with the uh, listeners uh, uh, modeling their Troublement podcast And the holidays are right around the corner. That's right. That's right. Gift-giving season is, uh, is upon us. So uh, uh, check all that out and, uh, you know, uh, tell your friends about us. I think that's that's. But I don't know. That's forgetting something, yeah, but that's, that's about it. You guys should have an OnlyFans. Well, we got we got to work up to it. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to. Manny doesn't know what that is, but I'm I'm going to break it to him slowly over. Yeah, over I, time. I don't know what that is, but I do know. I think maybe if push comes to shove, we should just have a telethon. 
Okay. Wow. (laughs) Sounds like a logistical nightmare, but uh, I don't know. That's a lot of pushing and shoving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, anyway, back to our guest, the great Mr. Matt Tecchio. Now, I want to give a little bit of uh, uh, internal uh, peek behind the curtain to to show how things work. So I I discovered Matt... uh, because, uh, you know, we had our, our former guest, Doug Belote, great drummer from uh, Lafayette, now living mm-hmm. in New Orleans, uh, was uh, a guest on the show. And, and uh, he and I, you know, follow each other on Instagram. And I see one day uh, this guy puts up a poster uh, of two free stooges. And uh, he says, uh, look what I found cleaning up uh, in, in my box, uh, you know, an old box. I used to play with this band. Doug Belote chimes in. I was just on a podcast with that guy manny chevrolet oh that's so, uh, right i remember all that now yeah yeah and i'm like okay all right and, and so i figured out that uh that you were a one-time drummer of uh of uh two free stooges and uh then i started following your career and I'm like okay geez man matt matt's one of these highly elite uh uh session drummers and uh <clears throat> and and you know it's so funny you and and doug play like a, a lot of times you listen to records that you guys play on and, and you think, well, he's just playing brushes. It's, it's really not a whole lot. I mean, that's what a novice could listen and think, but, but it's like, well, number one, he's playing with great time, great tone and so much taste. And it's, everything that he's not doing that you wouldn't want a drummer to do. He's not doing any of that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Is this making sense? Yeah, I, I, I mean, to this day, I've been drumming for over 30 years professionally, and I every time I sit down, I think, I have no fucking idea what I'm doing. And I hope, <laughs> I hope today isn't the day they figure that out. <laughs> yeah. But then I, the, the next voice that pops in my head is, yeah, Matt, but you've been doing this a long time, so just be yourself and go to work, you know, and so yeah. that's how I keep doing now, it. You know, but, how, do you, how, how do you know Doug? Um. We cross paths. Uh, I was playing with this singer, Janova Magnus. She's kind of a soul blues R&B singer, like old school, like Stax Motown kind of stuff. And we were playing a blues cruise, which went from Florida down to the Caribbean. So for a week, you're out there and everybody's on it. And it's just back to back shows. And he was on with... Oh God! What's the New Orleans white guy piano player? Big nose, big hat. Uh, <laughs> um, John Cleary. Yes, John Cleary. He's a bad motherfucker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he was on the podcast. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, and Doug was drumming with him that week. I mean, Doug works with everybody, and and to me, Doug's just one of the great New Orleans drummers, which is saying a lot because those are the greatest drummers of the New Orleans drummers, and that's where. My that's where the instrument was invented, the drum set from New Orleans, right. you know, baby Dodds back in the 20s. Can I ask you, like uh, you mentioned off air that uh, being from St. Louis, that you looked to New Orleans drummers a lot. Were you, were you like a student of, of the Earl Palmers and did you actually cross paths with Earl out in L.A.? I No, I never got a chance to. He, it was one of those things where he would play this uh, jazz show every week a regular like weekly gig at some jazz club in the valley 
And I was such a drug addict back in the day. I was like, well, uh-huh. I'll go, I'll go next week. And then, right, then right. and it just never happened. And then one day I found out that he died. So I never got to see him, but it started with listening to the meters for me. Okay. And when I was Sick in St. Louis, like I wanted to be an old black man when I grew up, N- not a black man, an old, like, because the right, old guys, sure. <laughs> the old guys in my city, just everything about them, the way they talked and walked and, and laughed and everything. And played their instruments. I was like, man, these are the baddest of the bad. And then I got into the New Orleans music, funk and soul and stuff and the meters. I just remember listening to the meters thinking, to me, and I was just a little white boy at the time thinking, that's the sound of like black people fucking for for whatever, (laughs) whatever that means. But to me, it was like intoxicating and amazing and so foreign from my upbringing that I, I couldn't get enough of it. So I would listen to Zigaboo drumming. And the and the and then the meters, of course, lead you to the Neville Brothers. So my first gig with the Unconscious, my St. Louis band, we we got in our little tour bus, which was like an old school bus we painted black, and we drove down and we played Tipitinas uh, the night after the uh, Neville Brothers played. So we get there and we get to see the Neville. And it, to me, it was like it was like going to Mount Olympus and seeing the gods, you know, and and. Uh, I just remember just being so excited to see the Neville brothers do their thing in their town. And, uh, and right. so that's what I've always tried to, I mean, you know, we were the unconscious, we were white suburban boys. So everything was twice as fast and half as soulful. And we also grew up with punk rock. So we had that influence, but uh, right. really to me, that's the real shit that like the New Orleans funk soul stuff is. Oh, and anyway, so that's how I, I ran into Doug and uh, Doug was a fan of Daniel Lanois, who I'd done a bunch of work with. Um, he's the producer that's done. He did U2 records. Uh, sure, sure. Daniel had Kingsway studio here in New Orleans for, for a long that's time. Right, and, that's uh, right. I never got to work there, but he has his studio here in Silver Lake, just like a few blocks from my house. Um, But so that's how we kind of, he came up and introduced himself because he knew I played with Daniel. And then uh, I got to listening to Doug. I was like, God damn, that guy is so good. And then of course he plays with all those, you know, meters guys, the George Porters and all those like, uh, you know, your town's uh, elite. Uh, Doug is, Doug is one of the guys, you know, he's one of the A-listers. Okay. So Matt, okay. Back to L.A., two Free Stooges dissolve. You're working at a coffee shop. You're, what do you do? What do you do? Who do you play with next? Do you get an agent? A- anybody and everybody. Like, you know, like I was in one band in St. Louis, and we could charge whatever we wanted at the door. And if we would bring 1,000 people or 800 people in the club throughout the night, that's, you know, $5 a head. So th- we'd, I'd make a living in one band and then I come out to LA and I'm in six bands and I can't even fucking pay my electric bill. Like, I, I'm like yeah. how do you, how do y'all do it out here? Like, I don't understand. And then the LA kind of horse shit of like, well, you know, you have to buy 50 tickets and then we oh, charge geez. for the first 50 people that come in, you make this percentage and then yeah, the next yeah. 20 after that. And it just confuses us. We're just dumb musicians. And we're like, what? <laughs> we're not so, good at math. <laughs> yeah. So at the end of the night, I'm like, I don't, 
like I can't even buy drugs now. Like what's going on? And so, <laughs> but, but I, uh, I did whatever I had to do working at a coffee shop, playing in six different bands, none of which are making any money. And then I, I get in this band called dig and they had like an MTV K rock hit. Uh-huh. And, uh, and so that was, you know, that's another year of employment or so. And it's just been basically 30 years of that, just going from gig to gig. And one day I'm up, one day I'm down, and it's still that way. So so I'm looking at your bio. You, your tour, you, do you do tours with like Fiona Apple? Uh, well, I did. A, I recorded a couple songs with her and did two concerts with her. Oh, okay. So, uh, most of that came from that Echo in the Canyon movie, which was a documentary on the 60s. Right. Laurel Canyon folk rocks. How are these? How are these big rockers discovering you? Are they calling you up? Like, does Neil Young call you up and say, "Hey, man, I saw you"? No. Well, that particular that particular gig. You remember the Kibitz Room uh, next to Canners? Yeah, sure. So Uh they would do a Tuesday night kind of uh, like sit in. Remember back in the day? Yeah, Jake. The uh, the Wallflowers used to play there. Exactly right. So I remember when. I was first moved to LA and I'm sure you remember it'd be like Wednesday night, English acid, Thursday night club with no name, you know, Tuesday right. night kibitz room. And there was a certain night for every club. And so you'd kind of make the rounds and everybody, right. as Bob Forrest said, everybody lived within a two mile radius at that time, you know, that's true. Until after, until after the LA riots. And then I moved to Venice and I was like, I, you know, this town's going to kill me. I got to go to the beach. But, um, Oh yeah, so I started doing the Kibitz Room. They re they started doing it again. They ramped it back up on Tuesday nights, and it was run by Morty Coyle and who was a DJ, and Rami, uh, for, who's now in the Foo Fighters. Rami, uh, keyboard player. Anyway, but they started doing it, and, and it was real unique, and it's kind of a jam session. <coughs> Andy Slater, who was the president of Capitol in the '90s, he would come in at the end of the night and play Neil Young songs. And he was doing this project. It started as an album, and then it turned into a, a, a concert, and then a concert film, and then it turned into a documentary. So the project grew, but it was the Echo in the Canyon kind of material, the 60s kind of right. L.A. Uh, folk rock, psychedelic stuff uh, of like, you know, Mamas and Papas and Buffalo Springfield. And he just handpicked the musicians he thought would be best for the project. Not that I was like the best drummer that went down there, but... I definitely had that psychedelic 60s kind of like my whole goal as a drummer is to play the wrong shit in the right way. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, that's my favorite stuff. When I listen to like Charlie Watts play drums, I'm like, that's so right. wrong. And it's so fucking awesome. Like, like there's, there's kids a third my age that have chops that I can't even touch. I see him on YouTube every day and it's like disheartening. Yeah, you don't want to play that game. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, no, yeah. I want to be the guy that comes up with some cool, wacky, weird idea that they wouldn't come up with because they're too good. You know. So uh, anyway, so he hired me for that and and I kind of got in uh, I looked at it as getting hired for a movie where I got to get into character. It's a period piece. It's the mm. 60s and the sound was either the wrecking crew on those records or yeah. um you know, the birds, mamas and papas, or the original drummers who were just like brilliant young musicians, high as fuck. So I tried to get into that, even though I'm sober, I got into that headspace. And through that, I ended up working with Beck, Fiona Apple, Cat Power, and Nora Jones. And, and I did a song with Neil Young. Still never met the guy, but I, I have a song recorded with Neil Young. 
Oh, nice. okay. The rest of them I, I did, you know, we, I did concerts with, and I was with Cat Power for a little bit, and so, you know, it, it grew from there. I remember Fiona Apple. I had a, I had a huge thing for Fiona Apple, and, uh, uh, but she's a pothead, isn't she? Yes, and... and uh, Which is nothing wrong I mean, with that. No, no, and, and respectfully, well, pot here in L.A., it's like going to the Apple store. It's like it's, it's, right. it's everywhere, you know? Like, if you light up a cigarette on the street in L.A., you'll get the dirtiest looks. But if you're smoking, <laughs> if you're smoking weed, you can be at an ca- outdoor cafe. Like, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask you about that, Matt, because uh, I even had in my notes, I, I heard a term which I hadn't heard before, uh, California sober. And uh, so oh, I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. familiar with that term, uh, you know, as being uh, someone in, in the. Uh, in, in well, you know, recovery. I know people that are in the business of the growing weed for medicinal purposes. And like, you know, I get it. The CBD thing, it's good for all kinds of things. I, I just, I, my sobriety is like, man, I'd be dead so long ago that I'm yeah. not going to, I'm not going to risk it by just like smoking weed. Like, so. And plus, I realized I'm not going to get any higher. Like, I, I got about as high as you can get. <laughs> and I crawled sure. out of that ditch. So I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm good. But, yeah, it's right. a thing. People people here just want to live forever. And, and I get it because now I'm 58. And honestly, I'm just trying to slow the decay. Like, I have, sure. I, I, <laughs> Enjoy your like, decline. Like, this is say. my favorite part of my life so far. But everything hurts. Like, oh. <laughs> everything hurts. <laughs> You know, and so I, I don't know, but I'm I'm still the luckiest son of a bitch that's ever lived. But that's uh, so that's how I did the, those um, that project, and uh, you know, it's like any job. I guess you you get your next job from your last job, ideally. You know, man, so, what a great conduit to to meet all those people, man, and to to get to work with them, get to you know hear have them hear you, Jesus, man. Yeah, like, yeah, and then we were you know I was in a little movie that was on Netflix for a couple of years. And yeah. I mean, I mean, you can still watch it, but I guess Netflix, when they put a movie on, they do it for a time contract and that we had a uh-huh. two year thing. So for, for two years, you could watch it for free, but it came yeah, down. Well, I, 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 yeah. I actually tried to watch it. Uh, and they cut your part out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, they, uh, and my, and my paycheck. Yeah. Uh, now, now, Jacob Dylan, um, you worked with him just on this film or other stuff? I, I've done some solo Jacob shows. Because of that, I kind of got to know a lot of these people. So that's why yeah. I like Pat Power and Jacob yeah. hire me. For are the stuff. Wallflowers still a band or is it just Jacob? Yeah, a friend, of mine, a friend of mine is drumming for them tonight. And uh, I, don't, I don't remember where they are. I just saw it on Instagram during our little pee break. But... Um, uh, yeah, he d- still. D- I don't think they do new music so much. It's just like an. Ex- he's got like six kids and a wife. He's been married forever. I think every year he just likes to go out and play a bunch of shows, play the hits, have fun to get away from and, the wife uh, and kids. Pro- probably, yeah. <laughs> Something like now, that. Now I heard. I, I heard his father was a big deal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and here's the thing that made me shit myself is I heard that he heard me drumming and thought I was a good drummer. And I'm also, I'm now working with Ryan Adams, the singer songwriter and Ryan works with Don was 
who's you know uh, produces yeah. every yeah. everybody and 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 runs Blue Note Capital, and and uh, Ryan said, "Do you think we could use my friend Matt on drums?" And Don was like, "Well, let me call Bob Dylan." And Bob said, "Yeah, he's a good drummer." So that's all oh, I needed man. to hear. So I don't Fuck I don't know me. if it's, that's so just, nice. Good for I've me, never man. met Bob Dylan. I just thought I, when I heard that he said uh, he gave me an endorsement, I was like, oh, that's pretty badass. So he knows who you are. Fucking right, man. That's so cool, Matt. Yeah, that's because cool. Dylan was a big two Free Stooges fan. OK. All right. Well, yeah, Bob Dylan. Uh, yeah, he came to all the shows. All right. <laughs> you know, I do remember meeting Joe Strummer because Xander was friends with him back in the day. And, and I was at a party after party after the two free stooges and it was somewhere off Melrose and, and it's just me and Joe sitting at this party kind of like awkwardly and everybody else seems to know each other. And Joe says, I really like your drumming. I really <laughs> liked, I really liked the band, but I don't understand the humor in it. he didn't really get the jokes but he thought we were a badass band well yeah i mean i i had known joe since like 85 or 86 so and dick rude was very very dick rude was very close to joe strummer and oh that's uh, right they did all those movies together and things yeah a couple of things together yeah and i remember um meeting the day i met joe strummer was on uh wilshire boulevard like wilshire and la brea and we're and Dick and I and Joe's and I go, he goes, Hey, Manny, how are you? And I, and he, I said, Hey man, you know, I'm, I'm okay. And I was just in awe. I was in awe. Cause oh, you know, yeah. it was just like, damn, it's just that's our, yeah, that's our punk rock Bob Dylan right there. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but yeah. So yeah, uh, I, I think I remember that party. Uh, but, um, yeah, it's sad that he's gone and stuff like that. That was weird. Like, he just died one day, and I was like, huh? I didn't even know he was sick. Well, yeah, he just got – and, you know, the weirdest thing was, it was like – I think it was the first or second year I was living in New Orleans, and I, I borrowed my girlfriend's – my now wife, I borrowed her car to run some errands, and I'm listening to some, like, classic rock radio station down here, and the DJ comes on and just says, uh – just as breaking news right now, uh, some guy named Joe Strummer, uh, I'd never heard of him, uh, has passed away. Apparently, he was in this band called The Clash. Uh, here's, uh, you know, here's uh, Martin Hopel, you know, <laughs> that kind oh, of stuff. Oh, no, yeah. So yeah. it was just like, really? Really? That's your respect? You know, come on, give me uh, a break. You know? Yeah, no, to, to me, he was like the real deal. The, he well, was like a, the Johnny Cash, Bob Dylan of his generation, like a, just a true soul, that guy. Yeah, and the th- cool thing was, I mean, uh, before you joined the band, we uh, Xander and Dick and Brant all lived in this house on Sierra Bonita, and we'd rehearse the, the, the we rehearse in the garage, and oh. when we started this band, and we went we went from like a Pete Weiss was our drummer for a second, uh, Bob. Um, Schmarvin, the pot dealer, was our bass player for a second. Oh, yes, Schmarvin. Remember Schmarvin? <laughs> Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Good Lord. Schmarvin lived. Uh, Renee, this guy named Schmarvin was a pot dealer and a bass player. Mm-hmm. And he lived uh, like two blocks above the Whiskey A Go Go. Okay. And he, it was the funniest thing because you'd go over there to score pot and like automatic, he would, when we'd leave his apartment, he says, just press B12 to get back to the parking lot. 
And one day he, I, he said, Manny, press B12. I said, B12? He goes, yeah, B12. I said, you sunk my battleship. Ah, there you go. Nice. <laughs> waiting, waiting to deliver that line. Nice. I've been waiting for, waiting for 280 shows to deliver right, that right, line. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, well, uh, well, Matt, I got a couple of names I want to throw out to you because uh, just to get your reaction to these people, because uh, you know, right. uh, um, so they they show up in your bio and your history. And this one guy, the first time he came up uh, was uh, uh, Will Sexton, who was uh, a guest on the show, is a friend of, of ours. And uh, he suggested that I, I have this guy as a guest. And I started digging into him. I was fascinated. Anyway, so the guy's name is uh, David Bearwald. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So David Bearwald's fascinating character. I did one session with him. Uh, he had a studio in Venice. And it was actually for Xander's band, the Low and Sweet Orchestra. Right. So I just got a call because Brady Blade, the drummer, had to fly and do some stuff with, oh, God. I, I don't remember who he was touring with, but I, I, I filled in for a day. So th that was... That was a real peripheral thing. Like I, I barely know Dave Bearwald, and he wouldn't remember me. But I came in for one day and did a, uh, a song or two for okay. Xander. Now the Sweet and Low wasn't that the Mulroney Brothers too with Xander Sweet and Low? Yes, Kieran and Dermot. They yeah, played Karen strings. And Dermot. Yeah, yeah, they played strings. Yeah, they were they. And they Mike were Mike Mart on uh, Mike Mart singing, and yeah, that right. was like the, the the tail end of underground bands getting major label deals. Mm. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't happen anymore. Uh, uh, but they got a major label deal, and I think they made one record and maybe like one and a half. I don't know if the second one ever came out, but uh, yeah, it was cool. Uh, they were a cool band. You know, they were kind of modeled after the Pogues, just like a bunch of guys in suits playing like folk music with a punk rock energy, right? You know. So the next name is uh, uh, the great Mike Garson from uh, David Bowie uh, band. Oh, uh, another, yeah, another just session. I, uh, I don't even remember who the session was for, but I remember he was on piano. And I thought, Mike Garson, the guy who played, uh, hold on, there's a cat at my door. I have a neighborhood cat, Leo. It's not a mountain lion, is it? Yeah, no. yeah, just make, make sure it's just... Leo lives in my neighborhood. He's not my cat, but he knocks on the door every day and comes and visits me. But anyway, oh, Mike Garson, I just knew him from uh, David Bowie, uh, uh, Aladdin Sane. Yeah, Aladdin Sane and everything after that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that yeah. album in particular was like some of the craziest piano I'd ever heard. He played that in one take, that solo off of uh, Aladdin Sane. He said it's the, the thing that people know me for still to this day. Yeah, I mean, and rightly so. It's it's insanity. But he was uh, he was great. But I, uh, again, don't really know the guy. It was a quick day session. I just remember t taking note, and and you know, and I'm like, well, I could use this in my bio. So I guess it worked. You're proof that it worked. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah it's working on me. So the next one is uh, the Dirty Dozen because uh, you know, Dirty Dozen from New Orleans. We've had oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, both Roger Lewis, the Barry player and leader, and and uh, and um, Kirk, the sousaphone player, on on the podcast, and you know, right. they're they're New Orleans royalty. So, how did you wind up uh, uh, encountering the Dirty Dozen? I was playing some giant music festival in um in canada like i can't even remember what it was called 
but it's like the big one of it's, it's like Coachella for Canada. And oh, I think it was Edmonton Folk Fest. That's what it was. So, uh, and they were on the bill and I was there with Geneva Magnus and we played in a bunch, anybody that was blues or soul related or roots music related, we would sit in with each other. So we mm-hmm. jump on stage for their set. They jump on stage for ours. And I, I remember, uh, uh, oh, what's the guy, uh, John Mayle came and sat in with us and, and so did the dirty dozen. And, and the thing is a drummer that was special for me was, you know, bass players are everything for the drummer. It's like, we're practically the same instrument. We complete each other's sentences. We got to work together. We listen to each other. And with the dirty dozen, it's that old kind of uh, style of the bass is a tuba. It's not a bass player. So I'd never played with the tuba as the bass player before. And so it's just a weird pocket to lock with. And I, I thought it was really special, but we just did like one or two shows so it's nice. Like yes, the the great Kirk Joseph on sousaphone. He's, uh, he's yeah, uh, yeah. Giant. They were they were badass, like total badass. Oh yeah, still are, still are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And of course, I had heard from for years being kind of a New Orleans freak. Not so much anymore, but as like a teenager, I was listening to anything that came out of New Orleans, past or present. You know, the last one I have on the list is uh, the Basketball Diary soundtrack. Oh yeah, that was. My friend Tom Stern, who's a uh, he's a filmmaker. He was partners with Alex Winter, who's just did the Zappa documentary. He was like, oh, I know Alex Winter from our, our uh, yeah, he's Bill and Ted. He was one of the you know, I don't know if he was Bill or Ted, but he was one of them. the uh, The one that wasn't Keanu was was Alex. Right, right, it was Alex. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think and, he was Ted. Okay. okay. He, he he went to school with a bunch of New Orleans guys. So a bunch of guys I went to high school with are friends with Alex from L.A. So, yeah, yeah. So Small me and though. his his partner, Tom Stern, we joined a band. Tom at the time was living in the canals in Venice. I was living not far. I got in a fight with my girlfriend. I ended up living with Tom for a whole summer. We put this band together called Spork, where we just we were using samples you know, like early samples, like Iggy pop and stuff. And in a way that wasn't hip hop and it was kind of like an art rock band. And we would play naked, uh, covered in body paint. (laughs) And I remember our, our across the street neighbor was Matt Groening from the Simpsons. And, uh, and Matt would come over and listen to us rehearse all the time. And he was a big Zappa fan and, and captain Beefheart fan. So anyway, it was weird music. And Tom was, uh, hired to, do a song for the basketball diary. So we did, we uh, contributed a song. I can't remember what it was. I mean, it was a, a Jim, what, what was his name? The Carol. Yeah. Jim Carroll. It was a Jim Carroll Jim, song. Jim Carroll. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah it was a, we covered a Jim Carroll song for the Jim Carroll movie. Oh, okay. Uh, but, but that was so long ago. I mean, that was at sure, least 25 sure. years ago, but oh yeah, did, yeah, yeah. But that's, that's where it came from. Did Matt Groening like to just come over because you guys were naked? <laughs> well, we didn't rehearse naked, but oh, okay. our shows our our shows were naked oh, and our videos yeah. were naked. But he would come over. He was a weird cat. But like he would have these Sunday brunches. Yeah, he would have these <laughs> Sunday brunches where he would just invite like artists, musicians, homeless people, just kind of weird neighborhood characters, and it was like a tradition of his. So he was a uh, really approachable at least back in the nineties. Uh, yeah. I heard he doesn't, he doesn't live there anymore, but his ex-wife got the house. So she still lives at the house and 
the Venice Canals. I don't know where he is, but uh, that's a nice neighborhood. Yeah, it, yeah. All, all of Venice. I had I got priced out. Like yeah, a, yeah, pi well, a yeah. pile of a pile of dirt in Venice is two billion dollars. Yeah, yeah, I know, man. Uh, you know, uh, one of our former guests and former sponsor, Brant Ryder, our last sponsor, yes. he, he grew up in Ghost Town. Oh, and wow. that, you know, the apartment that he lived in, which was, I used to go there in high school all the time, is now, you know, fucking a $2 million property, man. You know, it's just like. Oh, at, le at least. At yeah, least. Yeah. It's, it's crazy going nuts. And like, and like, um, I don't know if he still has that house, but Perry Farrell used to have that house in Mar Vista. And, yes. And he had that house in Mar Vista that we used to party at sometimes. And I'm sure he sold it for a big, huge profit. I'm sure. I don't know where he lives now. But that was, that was like a – it was the weirdest neighborhood for a rock star to live. It's like, why is yeah, Perry Farrell – Yeah, I remember the house. Yeah, yeah, remember that house? Why is he yeah. living? It's like right off Rose and, and near that park or whatever. I think it's like uh -huh. I think it was the house that Ann Hesh drove into. I'm not sure. It was definitely that neighborhood, yeah, right off yeah. Penmar Park. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. And I mean he had a little pool and everything and stuff. And I, I'm sure that place is like my grandmother's place, my grandmother's place or my grandparents' place on uh, Grandview Boulevard. Which oh, they wow. bought, they, which they bought for like ten thousand dollars in the fifties, is you know probably three point five million now. Yeah, all of my friends, my my Dogtown, like Venice, Santa Monica friends that were, because it was kind of poor working class back in the eighties and seventies yeah, and nineties. Yeah, and, well, yeah, 70s. yeah, and and I, and I moved there in the nineties, so it was still the tail end of that before it got gentrified. And all my uh, like punk rock surfer, these guys just grew up on these waves, surfing, skateboarding, and being in punk bands. And then they, to make money, they would get in as crew on these film sets, film and TV. So, you know, key grips, best boys, uh, set dressers, whatever, cameramen, lighting yeah. guys, electricians. And they would all, they made their money and they buy these houses in Venice to which like my friend, Nick, he, he's just played in punk bands. He does set dressing and he owns a house that's two stories in Venice, which is now probably worth $4 million. But at the Jeez. time it was, it was nothing. Nobody wanted to live there because bullets were flying over. Like you couldn't watch a movie at night because of the police helicopter circling right. over your house all right. night, you know? Right. Yeah. And now it's not like that. And now I live in Silver Lake, which kind of reminds me of how Venice used to be. It's kind of bohemian, and uh, it's starting to get gentrified. People are moving more East L.A., like like Eagle Rock and stuff. But is the and Pioneer that. Chicken Stand still there? <laughs> Where? <laughs> On Alvarado Street. Right off of the park, <laughs> MacArthur Park. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I, don't, <laughs> I, I, I try to avoid MacArthur Park. Listen, Matt, just to go back to the two Free Stooges in our day for one second, I watched that show from Long Beach and some other shows that Louie posted on YouTube, and I realized that there was, if we were still around today, there's no way Dick and I could tell those jokes today. Oh no! I, I, I was th I was thinking that today of like it would have been the me me too free stooges. <laughs> <laughs> okay, man. Well, I mean, I mean, really, the, the people have lost their sense of humor, or people are just 
chicken shit and afraid. That that's all it is, you know. And, it is. and you're absolutely right. I mean, to me, I, I I love Ricky Gervais and Louis C.K. because these are still guys that go for the offensive joke, knowing that it's going to piss people off and bum them out, and they go for it. Why? Because it's fucking funny. And that's really the only rule of comedy. There is no such thing as too soon. No, if it's funny, it's not too soon. So, right. uh, and and I know I know you as a person that that none of us are into child abuse, women abuse. Like it's not about that. It's about the funny, man. You you pursue the funny, and if it's right. funny, great. Hurting yeah. people is not funny. Yeah, and I don't think we never had the intent. But like I like I just said, just as we wrap this up, it's like. I'm watching this show from like Bogarts in, in Long Beach. I'm going, there's no way I could say that joke today. Yeah. What was one of the lyrics? Well, one of the lyrics was Manny's a spick and Dick is a Jew, but we don't right. care. We take it out on you. Exactly. <laughs> that's right. That was Weekopotamus. Yeah, that's right. Weekopotamus. That's right. So, yeah. No, it was genius. And then that was the goal to like, to, to, to offend people, but to get them to laugh at it you know yeah right on no other band was doing that and and i remember like i i there's a youtube video of tools first show at uh club with no name where they're opening up for us their first show was opening up for the two free stooges that's right i remember that club with no name that was a good space i like that place yeah i I did too yeah Yeah. like a balcony i remember we'd play there with the vandals and all kinds of bands you know right so listen uh renee you think we have a show yeah, man, this has been a great one. Uh, thanks so much, Matt. Man, you just uh, have oh, so many for great stories, me. and uh, you know, really cool guy to hang and uh, talk with, man. So, Matt, I might be in LA for Thanksgiving week. I don't know if you're going to be in town, but maybe we can hook up and. Have I would a love that, man. Yeah, hit me up, man. We'll have a chicken and a waffle. There we go. We'll and go to, uh, we'll go to Scoes. And, and also, next time uh, I'm in New Orleans, we'll do the same. I think we should shout out, at least from my point of view, quickly, that Carlo Nuncio has passed another great New Orleans drummer oh, yeah. who, I, who I did my first L.A. session with when I moved to L.A. I was Xander was doing the soundtrack to the Alex Cox film El Patriero. Right, he yes. Hired, he hired me to play drums, but it was at Carlo's house where Carlo was engineering and co-producing. And that's how I met him. And then I ran into Carlo just a couple of years ago. We were doing a Wild Honey Orchestra tribute to the band, the band called The Band. Right. And, uh, and we were all on that gig. And I reconnected. I said, you probably don't remember me, but my first L.A. session was at your house. And he said, yes, I remember. And, and so we've been kind of in touch on Facebook. And then I heard he passed, what, last month? Yeah. And so yep. Uh, shout out to Carlo. And I, I heard he... Uh, what you, you heard he you owed me money? No. <laughs> no. I think we all owe each other money. I don't, I don't <laughs> yeah, right, right exactly. I think it all comes out in the wash. There's no accountant that could do those books. But. <laughs> right, exactly. That's right. right. We'll settle it on the other side. But did they do? Did they give Carlo a, a second line? Uh, oh tribute? man, we had a sec- We had a second line on Sunday. The whole New Orleans music community turned out. Man, as a you know, several hundred people. Except for Manny. Except for Manny, um, you know, because yeah. I was in a dressing room. Four-hour show <laughs> of, of uh, you know, the cream of uh, all the bands that Carlo played with. Uh, you know, 
paying All tribute right. to him. And yeah, he's a one of a kind. Right on, right on. I just wanted to get that in there. I wanted to get that in there under the finish line. Appreciate yeah. that, Matt. Right on. So uh, yeah, shout out to Carlo. We always uh, think of you and love you. And uh, Manny, uh, as we like to say on the Trouble Ben podcast, trouble never ends. But Matt, the struggle continues. Mm-hmm. Good Amen. night. Good night. Got the